So good morning. I'm a little under the weather, but it's great to be with you guys. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear God, I just want to thank you for allowing uh, us to come here today. You know every hair on our head. You know the days, Lord. I want to thank you for giving us a meaning and a purpose that we're not alone, that you can satisfy and fulfill all our needs. And I pray, Lord, that in today's message that you would be glorified, most importantly, that you would speak and not myself, that you would use me as a vessel, Lord, that we're all broken people, we're all in need of you, and we pray, Lord, that your spirit would fill this room and that you would speak and we would then hear from you and be able to be transformed into your image that we might be encouraged again to pick up our cross and run the race set before us. Amen. All right, so I have to admit that um, I come before you guys with a heavy heart this morning, a little bit broken. I found out late Friday night uh, that my cousin and good friend Shepard uh, died in a motorcycle accident. And thankfully... By the grace of God, I know that Shepard was a Christian, and I'll see him again one day with Jesus. And I share this with you because I believe I'm a firm believer in the church. I'm a firm believer in the community of the church, and, and that the church is here to support and uplift and love each other and challenge each other. And I also share it today because... Even in this tragedy of the last 24 hours, Shepard was only 25 years old, and our family's super close growing up, so it's devastating. But even in this tragedy, I can see God working. And I think of the message today that I'm supposed to give on prophecy and exhortation, and it still amazes me that this is how God works. See, God knew that I would be speaking on prophecy and exhortation. I didn't know that I would be walking through this trial and tribulation, but God knew. In today's message now, I see I prepared and started preparing in a different light than in the last 24 hours, and I see this message today a little differently, and I can only share through that lens of how I see it but I'm privileged to speak with you guys today on prophecy and exhortation. But before we get into those two spiritual gifts, I want to remind us the definition that Dave gave us last week. Why are we going through this? Why are we showing up here today and learning about these spiritual gifts? These spiritual gifts are available for all. Dave gave us a great definition here on screen that says a spiritual gift is a supernatural ability or a natural talent given by God to every believer for the purpose of serving others under the direction of the Holy Spirit. There's two points I want to make. One is that every single one of you has spiritual gifts that need to be used. And that more importantly, the reason why we're studying these spiritual gifts and the reason why 
we're going through them is to serve one another, is to build each other up, because as Dave explained last week, if we serve one another, the outcome of serving one another is for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So the reason why we're going to talk about prophecy today, we're going to talk about exhortation today, is so we can come together and stir up and build the body of Christ that we might be in the fullness of Jesus. And usually when I start looking at a text, I look at commentary and how other Theologians have looked at this, other philosophers, other pastors. And normally what you would do is you would take prophecy and exhortation and you would start with prophecy. And then you would go into exhortation. Because every time prophecy is used in the scripture, whether in Old Testament or in New Testament, it's actually linked with exhortation. Because prophecy... The application and what it's all about is to exhort everyone. The prophets, when they gave their prophecy, it was to exhort you, to challenge you, to turn away from your sin or to lean on Christ in tribulation and trial and come in back to Jesus and lean on Jesus. But as I think of this uh, experience and tragedy that I'm going through over the last 24 hours, I want to start with exhortation. See, our family has gone through this tragedy, and I have seen firsthand now, in the last 24 hours, the effect of exhortation. We have been reminded by countless phone calls, countless texts, Facebook posts, to cling to the promises of Jesus. See, what's so amazing to me is that as I prepare for this lesson and I'm sitting there last night, and all I can see is that the gift of exhortation is often called the gift of encouragement. See, the Greek word for this gift is parakaleo. It means to beseech, exhort, call upon, to encourage, and to strengthen. Listen to this. The primary means of exhortation, this gift, is to remind the hearer of the powerful and amazing work of God in Christ, particularly in regard to the saving work of Jesus in the atonement. Over the last 24 hours of getting text messages, phone calls, people have been encouraging me, exhorting me to cling to the promises of Jesus. Promises like he will never leave you or forsake you. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your past. Most, most importantly, that this life isn't the end. And that I'll see uh, Shepherd again one day. And exhorting me that you must continue to run the race that is set before you. 
See, this is true exhortation. This is the true gift of exhortation. It's not about, I appreciate the sympathies and the condolences that people are giving. We even have people that have brought meals. I appreciate all that. But true exhortation is calling and exhorting us to remember the promises of Jesus. To remember his promises and his truths. Exhortation is the gift of being able to encourage others by well-timed and wise counsel. This gift builds the body of Christ by helping new, young, and even old disciples to turn from sin and believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. Exhortation also raises hope for me because an exhorter uses examples in life of others to help Christians see potential of daily victory. Paul is an example of this. Paul used the testimony of one church to motivate another church in Corinthians 9.2. He used his own life multiple times throughout Scripture to illustrate God's grace. Practicing the gift of exhortation, mature exhorters have learned by experience that God gives special grace during trials. They are champions of the faith who direct believers to God's redemptive power and purposes in all circumstances. They take great pleasure in helping others recognize the benefits of all suffering and sorrow as God lovingly redeems each painful or bewildering circumstance. Paul is an example of this again. Paul gloried in his tribulations. His credentials were the persecutions that he experienced and the counseling God gave him during his afflictions. See, the motivation of an exhorter is to see spiritual growth take place in practical living. And we need to, if we're going to exhort one another, here's the calling. We need to be willing to become personally involved with each other's lives. In our suffering and pain, or in our sin and our ugliness, in order to achieve an abundant life, we need to be willing to be personally involved. The Apostle Paul demonstrated the gift of exhorting. His words in Galatians 4.19 reflect his desire to see spiritual growth among believers, as well as his willingness to be personally involved in their lives. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children of whom I travail in birth again, and pain birth is extreme, until Christ be formed in you. In his letter to the church in Colossae, Paul declared that he worked day and night, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may be present, or that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I want to make the point to us today that exhorting is not an optional gift. It's not something that some people have and other people don't. I put these verses on the screen to remind us that we are commanded to exhort one another. If you see in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, which is this. This is the, the assembly. This right here. As the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. I can't imagine... As I was talking to my dad last night, I can't imagine going through this tragedy that we're going to 
without the assembly of Christ. It's a testament to me of God knowing what's best and he has a reason for why he lays out the pathways that he does in our lives. We're also called to exhort one another daily in Hebrews 3, 13, while it is called today, at lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The purpose of exhortation is found in 1 Thessalonians 4, 2. It says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. See, the purpose of the people reaching out to me in this tribulation and reaching out to our family in this trial is not because it's not driven out of Condemnation is not driven out of just wanting to make us feel good. It's driven out of a place of wanting us to have an abundant life in Christ. That's the point of exhortation. There's two places I saw exhortation again and again. One was in a place of trial and tribulation. The other was in a place of sin. When you exhort someone when they're in sin, when you're challenging them to come back to the promises of Jesus, it's not because you're wanting to condemn them. It's not because you want to judge them. It's because you want them to live a fulfilled life. Is you want them to live an abundant life. That's the purpose of exhortation. That's why we exhort one another, to build each other up that we might live an abundant life. The other purpose of exhortation is that it might convince Gainsayers. A gainsayer is someone that opposes, someone that doesn't believe. See, there's one thing that has become clear to me in this tragedy is that I have a choice, and my family has a choice. The choice is you can either blame God. Or you can trust God. That's the choice. And the point of exhortation, the gift of exhortation, is that it might convince the gainsayer in me. That it might convince me, hey, Titus 1.9, hold fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayer. We're to exhort one another because we're in a constant battle of choosing to run away from God or to run towards God. Some examples of exhortation in the scriptures. James, I think, is a classic exhorter, although you have plenty of examples from the old prophets in the Old Testament. But I chose James because I want to make the point of action in your faith. James is the classic exhorter. James was saying in this verse, Do not talk to me about your faith. Let me see your works. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. And so James was constantly exhorting them to prove their faith by their works. He basically was saying, You show me your works and I will show you your faith. 
This is such an important and necessary epistle because it really deals with the practical aspects of Christianity. It is not just about saying something. It is not just about repeating apostles' creeds. It's not just about standing up at the right time and sitting down at the right time in church. It is actually doing the things that the scripture tells us to do, and the proof then is in our doing, and thus it is manifested in us. James, I'm not making the argument that our salvation comes from our works. But what I'm making the argument to you today is that in this exhortation, in this challenge that is given to me, that I can either choose to blame God or I can choose to run towards God, that is an action. Reciting an Apostles' Creed does not help me right now. It does not help me right now. What helps me is taking action in my faith, in in all my ways acknowledging Christ, and seeking communion with him. We see another example of this in Romans 12, 1. <clears throat> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, <clears throat> that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul was writing to the Romans, and again, Paul is exhorting them to action. Not to just a faith or not to just a creed, but exhorting them to let it be seen in the activities of their life. That is what our exhortation is about. The gift of exhortation, the Spirit of God gives this gift to people in the church to strengthen and encourage those who are wavering in their faith. Those with the gift of exhortation can uplift and motivate others as well as challenge and rebuke them in order to foster spiritual growth and action. Again, this rebuke is not a judgment rebuke. It's not a condemnation rebuke. It's a rebuke to come live an abundant life. That God's ways are better than man's ways. People with the gift of exhortation do not merely proclaim truth as prophets often do. <clears throat> they develop relationships, often taking time to do those little extras that make the difference when someone is struggling. For example, rather than saying, I exhort you, Juliana, you should read Psalms every day. Instead, an exhorter would say, let's start a Bible study together on Psalms. We are instructed to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, which implies that <clears throat> that as we are faithful with the ones we have been given, God will entrust us with more. Regardless of our primary gifts, all of us as Christians should desire to become better at exhortation, to build those up who are weaker, encourage those who lead, and strengthen the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. 2 Corinthians 1.4 says, Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with, his, with which we ourselves 
are comforted by God. One practical way for all of us to use this gift of exhortation is through the gift of prophecy. The spiritual gift of prophecy is an extraordinary and unique gift. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14.1, to pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So he specifically calls out prophecy, and I believe there's a reason why for that. This gift is a blessing to the church and should not be quenched or despised, is what 1 Thessalonians 5.20 says. Those of you who have the gift of prophecy... It does differ, I want to make the point that it differs from the Old Testament prophets who spoke the authoritative word of God directly. Their words were recorded as scripture as they proclaimed, thus says the Lord, whereas the messages from those with the spiritual gift of prophecy, it must be tested according to the scriptures. The Greek word for the gift of prophecy is Prophetia, which is the ability to receive a divinely inspired or divinely inspired message and deliver it to others in the church. These messages can take the form of exhortation, correction, disclosure of secret sins, prediction of the future events, comfort, inspiration, or other revelations given to equip, equip and edify the body of Christ. Again, I want to make the point that the gift of prophecy, they do not constitute the authoritative word of God, but it's a human's interpretation of the revelation that was received. They are spoken in human words through a human mind, which is why they must be tested against Scripture. I want to make a couple points on prophecy. If you're anything like me, you tend to think of prophecy almost like fortune-telling, almost like predicting the future. And that's actually not what prophecy is mainly about at all. This is what causes a little bit of confusion in the church when it comes to the gift of prophecy and why you hear some churches talk about it and others not because it's a little controversial when it comes to do people prophesy today, do they not? I believe it is still a valid and useful for the church today with prophecy. I think this is clear when we read 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 and Acts 2, 17 through 18. 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12 says, Love near, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What this is implying is that the perfect has not come yet, Jesus has not come back. So prophecy is still with us. In Acts 2, 17 through 18, it says, In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. When Peter was saying this, he's saying that we're in the last days because Jesus has come and we're waiting for him to return. The second point I want to make with prophecy It's not all about predicting the future. It also does not have the authority that is on par with Scripture. It is a spirit-prompted, spirit-sustained utterance that is rooted in true revelation, but is fallible because the prophet's perception of the revelation 
and the thinking about the revelation and the report of the revelation are all fallible. So I want to make that point again, is that a revelation, a prophecy by any of us in this room, when we say a prophecy, it is spirit-prompted. It is spirit-sustained. It is an utterance that is rooted in true revelation from God. But the reason why we have to test prophecies against the Scripture why we have to test prophecies to make sure it's not a false prophet is because we as human beings are broken. We as human beings are fallible. And our interpretation and perception of that revelation, our thinking about that revelation, and then how we teach on that revelation could be fallible. It is thus similar to the gift of teaching. Teaching is spirit-prompted. I'm teaching today. It's spirit-prompted. It's spirit-sustained. It's rooted in the scriptures. But yet it's fallible because I'm an imperfect human being. I'm an imperfect human being that's broken. So the reason why I'm making this point is because prophecy can be a controversial issue of do people prophesy? Do we believe what they say? Just like in teaching... There is value in my teaching. There's value in a teacher. There's also the value in the prophecy. But it needs to be rooted in the scriptures. And it needs to be vetted and tested with spiritual maturity. I love this definition that I heard about prophecy. It says, the New Testament gift of prophecy is a third category of prophetic utterance. The first category is verbally inspired, intrinsically authoritative, infallible speech spoken by the likes of Moses, Jesus, and the apostles. So I'm going to say that again. The first category of prophecy is verbally inspired, intrinsically authoritative, infallible speech spoken by the likes of Moses, Jesus, and the apostles. This is the word of God breathed by God. The second category that we tend to see is the speech of the false prophets spoken presumptuously without inspiration and liable to condemnation. So what does that make the gift of, the, a gift of prophecy that we all can have? Prophecy in this third category, the New Testament gift of prophecy, is a regulated message or report in human words, usually made to the gathered believers based on a spontaneous personal revelation from the Holy Spirit for the purpose of edification, encouragement, consolation, conviction, or guidance, but not necessarily free from a mixture of human error and thus needing assessment on the basis of the apostolic biblical teaching and mature spiritual wisdom. I believe Paul singles out the the gift of prophecy all the time because the gift of prophecy has the ability to speak into people's lives when nothing else can that you can reach someone when no one else can because of a revelation that's God's given to you for someone in their moment and in that time. The Holy Spirit gives the gift of prophecy to some believers, I believe, to make God's heart known and to edify the church. This gift is for the benefit of both believers and unbelievers and is a sign that God is truly among his church. 
I challenge all of you, those with the gift, need to be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the needs of the church body. You should be humble and continually study the scriptures in order to test these revelations before speaking them. When you do speak, you should allow and even expect others to weigh what is said against the scriptures and interpret the message accordingly. So in this way, the church may continually be built up together in unity. I want to close with some application. I think the application really for me as I read this passage of Scripture and in my thoughts and everything that I've walked through over the past two days is that we need to desire earnestly for these gifts. We see this in 1 Corinthians 14 that we need, this is something we need to be praying for. Something we need to, it's not something that comes naturally, it's something that we need to be praying for. We need to be seeking to do in the lives of others. Like I said, I can't imagine walking through what we've walked through without the assembly of God, without people exhorting us, without people coming alongside us. And that doesn't happen naturally. That happens by people seeking it out, praying for it, asking God to guide and direct them. The second, when it comes to prophecy, is I think we must muster the courage to speak out what you believe and pray that more confidence may be given to you from the Lord. Juliana prayed. I don't think Juliana knows my situation at all, but she prayed about how life is fleeting. And I keep thinking to myself, I thank God every single day that uh, Shepherd was a Christian, But I think to myself, how many people I know today that aren't Christians? And I don't have the courage and I don't muster the strength and courage to speak into their lives, to exhort them, to even how many of you have been sitting in a room where you feel you have something you're hearing from God that he wants you to say, but you don't say it. And I would challenge us in an application of this that we seek and pray for confidence that we may speak out and courage and exhort people because we see with the gift of prophecy, it also is so powerful to the unbeliever who comes into the church to show them that God is real, is what the text says. And then above all, the third application would be make love your aim in all things. Realize that love is the greatest miracle and the surest sign of God's blessing Grow more and more towards solid, stable, biblical maturity. So my point with this point is that in your exhortation, the temptation where we go wrong with exhortation is we tend to judge and use exhortation as a way to judge people and tell them they're doing something wrong instead of a way to love people and show them they're not living the abundant life. When you exhort someone in sin, exhort them out of, I want you to live an abundant life. I want you to have what Thessalonians is talking about, to to have abundance more and more. And the point of all these spiritual gifts, as we walk through these spiritual gifts over these next couple weeks, the point of all these spiritual gifts is that we might, in love, build each other up. 
We might in love come beside one another, encourage one another to continue to run the race, to continue to, when you're faced with that choice, to either choose and run towards God and believe in his promises or want to run away from God, that we would use these gifts of prophecy, of exhortation, to lead people to run towards God. And so make your aim love as you exhort people this week, as you choose whether or not to prophesy this week. Make your aim love because that's how we'll know if it's rooted in the scriptures. Because how do you know a tree? You know a tree by its fruit. And what did we learn with the fruits of the Spirit? Is that our command is to love our neighbor as ourselves. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for giving me... 